Good morning. Good morning. Get, there's 50 of you, but you can do a little better than that. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, okay. It's been quiet for a long time. Jake and I are going to need some of this in interaction up here, but uh, good to see you. Happy Father's Day. Uh, best gift for me is my family was all here today. That's a really huge gift. Um, it's, it's good we, we talked about this value of being focused on Jesus because this whole section in 2 Corinthians, as we come back to this cruciform life, uh, Paul's talking about how when we live out our faith, it really is the reflection of the life of Jesus. It's the righteousness of God, the covenant faithfulness of, of Christ that we live out. And um, Paul's been exploring what it looks like when we do this. And it's a different way of thinking for these people in Corinth. Corinth was this uh, business capital, commerce capital, Las Vegas of its day. Uh, image was important. Power, material wealth was really important. Um, and remember, we've mentioned several times he's writing because a lot of the church were drifting to these super apostles, uh, these people that look good, smell good, appeared to have it all together, but were selling short the truth of Jesus. And Paul continues to show them a different way. Last week, Jake was talking about this call to be ambassadors of the cross at the end of chapter 5, and, and that we're changed to live out this way of Jesus, the righteousness of God, not as just a status, not as, okay, you're saved, you're done, but that when that phrase is used in Scripture, it's actually a whole different way of God living His life through us, the covenant faithfulness of God to the world. And we're going to pick up today again about that as Paul moves on to discuss both the role of these ambassadors and, and some characteristics of their relationships. So Heather Garfield is going to come read our text for us. Come on up. She told me to blow a trumpet. I can't blow a trumpet. So Heather, you'll just have to come on your own. Good morning. And isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Woo. <laughs> we're reading from 2 Corinthians 6, verses 3 to 13. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. May God bless the reading of his word. Thanks, Heather. Thanks, Heather. The, the, the text focuses in on, I think, in, in pretty clear detail, what being an ambassador looks like, what it looks like. Um, he's been talking about this role. He's kind of built up to it, this cruciform life, and he says, what we've been given is this message of reconciliation, and we're these ambassadors that are living in the world, 
communicating to the world who Jesus is in our lives and our words. And, and one of the things that's interesting to me is where he starts. And I would say, he says, the life of an ambassador of the cross is a life of removing obstacles. A life of removing obstacles. He starts in verse 3. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry as ambassadors will not be discredited. Now, that's, that's an interesting take because often, true or not, the, the church is perceived as the people that are holding others away. We're the ones that are, are maintaining uh, true doctrine. And Paul talks about we need to have good doctrine. We need to watch our life and doctrine closely, he tells Timothy. But often we subtly slide into this shift of trying to maintain our pure faith. And, and when we look at ourselves, we, we don't have it all together. And Paul says, my, my job, I don't want to put any obstacles in the way of anybody coming to Jesus. Only what, what's true needs to be there. He's big on truth, but he wants to make sure nothing he does keeps anybody away. And then he goes through really three little sections about what the life of an ambassador looks like. And, and, and they actually fit together quite well when you look at them. The first one, he says, is that servants, ambassadors are servants willing to face difficulty. He says, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance and then he goes through nine traits. Now, the way the Greek is structured, in great endurance is the way we commend ourselves. But then he lists nine things. And it's important to remember nine. I, I don't know why. But he does three sections of nine. And in this first one, he literally does three sections of three. Uh, the, the three groupings. First, he says, troubles, hardships, and distresses. Right? These, these kind of emotional, mental things that we carry. Then he moves on to beatings, imprisonments, and riots. Physical things external to us, coming at us. And then third, hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. Once again, physical things, but very personal things. Not coming necessarily from the outside, but, but something chosen. This hard work, sleepless nights, this hunger. These are some of the things he says that an ambassador has to endure in order to keep the way clear to Jesus. In order to make sure that nothing gets in the way. And they look the total opposite of what Corinth and what our world would call success. It's not a super apostle way to live, right? And often when we face these difficulties, when we have struggles and people are against us and it seems like life has fallen apart, our first assumption is that we've done something wrong, we're going the wrong direction. But the truth is, very often that's how we are shaped as apostles. It's often a normal part of the journey. I've, I've shared multiple times in sermons, bits and pieces, but my, my first years in Vancouver were, I, I call my dark night of the soul. I wanted to do something for God. I wanted to, and, and there was nothing happening. And when I prayed, it was like, where, where are you? Are you still here? And that went on for years. I still say, Angela needs a Nobel Peace Prize for living with me during that period of time. I was not easy to live with. I was frustrated. And I thought I'd done something wrong. And it, the reality was, as I look back, that's when God was actually shaping me and teaching me what I needed to know that I could learn no other way. And Paul's reminding them as ambassadors who seek to make the way clear for other people, it often comes with difficulty and struggle, both external and internal, both, both physical, both emotional and mental. And there's another aspect to this role. The second one he lists is ambassadors are reflecting Christ and his righteousness. Reflecting Christ and his righteousness. Once again, nine things under this heading in verses 6 and 7. Purity, understanding, patience, and kindness. 
Now, when you think of the first nine things, the struggles and the difficulty, how in the world are we supposed to say pure and understanding and patient and kind? Well, that's the next thing. In the Holy Spirit, he says. It's, it's this drawing from the life of God. As you go through the first nine, you begin to reflect the, the glory of God to the world as you live in, in the life of the Spirit. He moves on, in sincere love and truthful speech. That's a common phrase for Paul, speaking the truth in love. He, he hooked up truth and love together all the time. And how do we do that? He says, in the power of God. See, he cycles back. We, we need to live these things, but we do it in the Spirit. We need to live these things, but we do it in the power of God. It's once again this idea from 2 Corinthians 3 that when we look at Jesus and see him, we reflect him to the world. It's not us just going out and trying to do these things. It's, it's actually participating in, in the life of the Trinity as we, we share the power of God flowing through us. And then the last thing, which I love this one, with weapons of righteousness in both hands. Now, I grew up in the United States, uh, and, and I watched Westerns, and so when I think of that, immediately I think of the, the guy, you know, two six-guns, weapons in both hands. But you've got to understand that's not exactly what's being communicated here. If you think of weapons in both hands from Paul's context, just give me a minute. I realize these aren't accurate, but they're close enough, right? See? You would have a dominant hand that would have your offensive weapon, and you would have your other hand that would have your defensive weapon, right? A sword and a shield. And so what Paul is saying is that both these weapons, your offensive weapon with which to attack and your defensive weapon with which to protect yourself, are both the same thing. They're both the righteousness of God. And Jake, and I've said this over and over, this is not a status. This is a way of living. And what's interesting is, if you think about what he's saying, this is how we attack the evil in the world, by living like Jesus, by living out that righteousness of Christ. That's how we actually attack. It's not our, you know, I know sometimes we think it's our brilliant wisdom or our, our sharp logic and our, and our intelligence or our ability to make other people look foolish in, the, in what they're saying. That's not the way we, the way we attack the world is in this hand, our weapon is the righteousness of God, this living out the faithfulness of Jesus. And how do we protect ourselves? Well, we do that the same way. Living out the righteousness of Jesus. That's, that's both our offensive and our defensive weapon. And I, I think that is something we need to really wrestle with. How do you do that? Well, that's where he comes to the third section, and I, I call it embracing the paradox of faith. A paradox is not Dr. Keller and somebody else in the room at the same time. That's not a paradox, right? A paradox is, is uh, I looked this up so I'd be smart, a logically self-contradictory statement or a statement that runs contrary to one's expectation. And the reality of divine truth is often it involves a paradox. Two things which, which don't really make sense together and yet somehow they're both true. Physicist Niels Bohr said, you know, the opposite of a correct statement is a false statement. But the opposite of a profound truth is very often another profound truth. There's this, somehow these two things are both true and we can't quite fit it together. And Paul says in this next section of nine things, I don't know why he did nine, but he, he's specifically chosen to use lists of nine, that, that this is the life of an ambassador. Just listen to this. He says, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, 
Genuine, yet regarded as imposters. Known, yet regarded as unknown. Dying, and yet we live on. Beaten, and yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. These aren't concepts he's talking about. This is the life experience of an ambassador. There are times when you feel the glory even though you're being dishonored. Times when there's bad reports and good reports circling about you at the same time. And you're genuine, but people see you as an imposter. You're known by God, and yet people don't understand you. You're dying, yes, but we live on. Beaten and yet killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. It's this paradox that we live in of these two opposite things at the same time. It's the experience of an ambassador. It's, it's what happens when we seek to live in a way that keeps, that removes obstacles, that keeps the way clear for people to come to Jesus. We experience those first nine challenges and they're difficult, but we respond to them through, through reflecting back and forth with the Spirit, with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the, these traits, this purity, understanding, patience, kindness, and that, that places us in kind of a paradox with, with even ourselves and the world. It's, it's the tension of living between these two things of, of trouble and yet different response because what we're reflecting to the world as ambassadors is who Jesus is. And then he, that's what he's talking about, in, I think, in verses 3 to 10. And then he touches on something else in verses 11 to 13. And I'll, I'll whip through this quick, but I'm going to talk a little bit more in the application about this. The foundational nature of relationship. Because ambassadors, to be an ambassador, you have to live in relationship with the people that you're with. It's not something you do distant or disconnected. And there's three quick things, he says, in verse 11, 12, and 13. And he says that these relationships of an ambassador are characterized by speaking freely and living transparently. That's verse 11. I'm not picking out great words. I'm stealing Paul's words, right? We have spoken freely to you. We've said what was on our mind. We've been open And we've opened wide our hearts to you. We've let you know who we are. Ambassadors' relationships, we speak freely. We live transparently. I can say all these things to you, Paul says, because of the freedom that I have in Christ. I can open wide my heart to you. And in verse 12, giving affection, but facing possible rejection. In verse 12, he says, we are not withholding our affection from you. We're not, we're we're loving, we're, we're giving it to you but you're withholding yours from us. See, that, that's part of the life of an ambassador too, is you love people who may not respond, who may not love you back. But Paul says, I don't have to be afraid to care for you. The reality is I may not get the same in return. And despite this, he doesn't get angry, right? He doesn't take his marbles and go home. That's not the way an ambassador functions. He says, we live in these relationships. And the third characteristic in verse 13 is that we live a life of continual invitation. Verse 13, as a fair exchange, he says, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. He longs for them like a parent to return. That's that's his relationship. He speaks freely. He's transparent. He offers affection. And even if they reject, he's going to continue to offer that invitation to them. That, the, the life of an ambassador in our world, the political high life of an ambassador in our world is very different than an ambassador of the cross. But, but what Paul's saying through this first section is, as an ambassador, what we want to do, we want to take these obstacles away. And we may suffer. We may have challenges. But the way we respond is by reflecting Christ, by drawing from the life of God, 
and reflecting it to the world. And that means living in this paradox. And all of this we do in a relationship. Now, I want to I wanna kind of do the application part now and talk about following the cruciform path. Like, how do we live this way? This is a high, anybody else feel like this is a really high bar? I mean, to actually live the way he's describing is, is it's, it's a high bar. Tall order. Something bigger than us. And we're exactly right. And I, I want to make clear, this is not us just being our best self and trying really hard to be like Jesus. This is dying to ourself, and, and, and in that death, this new life comes through. This righteousness of God comes through us as we look at what God has done for us and who He is. And it's a way of living radically different from what most would expect. You know, Jake started off uh, early on in this, in this series, but thanks, 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of our knowledge of him. This ironic idea of slaves in a triumphal procession, right? That, that somehow we die to self, we're captured, we're taken captive by Christ, and that's what actually sets us free. And, and, and the reality is that, that this is very, very different. Ah, you know what I've done? Uh, I've deleted some of my notes by accident. What's the next line, Reed? Following the cruciform path, and then after that, we're B, yeah. What's the next one after that? This is where I, I deleted that. I'm going to have to wing it. Go, to, go on to the next one. Our being flows out of first receiving. Out of first receiving. That, that is hilarious. I thought I did that this morning, and I went back and I looked and I said no. But our being, this is one of the ways we follow the cruciform path. Our being flows out of first receiving. Now, Jake and I have said this again over and over and over again, right? That's not the way our world works. Our world says, do the right thing and get rewarded for it, right? That's what our world tells us. You've got to do the best you can and, and be honored by that. That's, that's what we do. That's how we teach our kids. Keep the rules and you'll get a reward. And, and it's necessary as we're training children, but it's not the gospel, and so one of the things we have to realize to follow the cruciform path is, is that our being has to flow out of our receiving. We need to receive the grace of God first before we, we can live it out to the world. We need to receive before we live. There's an activity I always do in one of the spiritual formation classes. I give them, and it's way better if you can do it in the class because you actually have the piece of paper. And I give them a text. It's Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. And I say, I want you to go through this and I want you to underline everything that God does in this text. And I want you to circle what you do. And then I want you to look at when you do it. Now, what I'm going to do is I've already done the work for you. Okay, it's going to come up on the screen. But I'm going to read this passage and, and underline bold italic is what God has done. As you see that, I want you to think about when he's done it. And then, then in all caps is what we have done. Let me just read this text to you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, past tense, in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him, past tense, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship, past tense, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with, the pleasure, with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us, 
in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Once again, God's done all these things. With all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will. God's done this again, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen. Once again, God did this. Having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, finally us, finally we're doing something, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ. God did that. You were included. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believe there's something we can do, you were marked in him with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Read that passage at home today, but you've got to realize in our life, we constantly feel like we have to do enough to get God to, to join in. And yet the scripture would say, we don't, we don't do in order to receive. We receive first. We, we receive first. And our doing flows out of that. And see, we, we, we try to make ourselves worthy of receiving. That's, a, that's pride is what it is. It's pride. You want to be good enough for God to love you. We all do. But God loved you while you were still not good enough. And, and part of living a cruciform life is starting there. Let, you, let who you are, let your being flow first from your receiving. Paul's given us a beautiful image to help us visualize this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us, right? It's not that we've got to build a good treasure box. I got, he's going to give me a treasure. I better build something that looks really good to hold this treasure. Paul says, you got an old jar of clay. That's all you've got, but he's still going to put his treasure there. And he's doing it so that you'll know where it came from, so that you'll understand the value of what he's given. Once you start to see how we've put the cart before the horse, we've tried to be good enough for God to use us instead of letting God love us first. And, and as you experience the love of God, that changes how you live. That's part of living the cruciform life. Paul, or John says at 1 John 4, 19, we love, why? Because he first loved us. It's a catalyst that changes us. It allows the righteousness of Christ to flow through us, we have to be loved first before we can actually share it out of this emptiness. Now, a second idea is that we need to move from ideas to transformed living. In verse 3 and 4, he says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. So what he's saying is, I'm going to defend my ministry, and I'm going to tell you how I'm going to do it. But he doesn't list his doctrinal statement next, does he? He doesn't say, because I've taught this, and I believe this, and I said this. What does he list next? What, how he's actually living, right? It's not that those things aren't important, because Paul's going to teach his doctrine. He's going to teach that. But when he says, when I want you to understand, I don't want my ministry to be discredited. I want to remove every obstacle. I want to commend myself. He goes through all these things that he's lived out. And it's appropriate for me that it's Father's Day, because I've been reflecting. Obviously, we all do this, I think, reflecting about my own dad. He's been gone for 11 years. I miss him almost every day. But, you know, my, my dad was not... 
Uh, he dropped out of high school to work. He eventually went back and got his general equivalency diploma, did that big test, and was quite proud when he accomplished that and finished his high school. But he, he was not a scholar. He was not, I mean, he, he read his Bible and he studied. But, and he taught my Sunday school class for many, many years and taught us as a family. But what I remember about my dad was, was the afternoon in the, in the field after we'd been working in the Christmas trees with another guy. And I was just tired and ready to go home, and I was already in the truck, and my dad and the other guy were sitting out there talking, and my dad was telling him about Jesus. Shoot. And, and his commitment to his values, I can remember how he, he loved us, right? And I, I was in a situation where I kind of took a stand in my high school with our Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and the Board of Education was, it, it was a mess for a while. I, those were weird days. But I remember us coming back from a meeting where, where they had been very critical of me as a high school student. And my dad, I, I don't think he slept the whole night. I remember him sitting up at the table because he was so, he, he was carrying this burden. And, and his care for us and family, I'm going to get off of this because I'm not going to be able to pull out very easily. But you know what, what, what spoke to me about my dad's life? Was he, knew, he knew doctrine, he, he studied, he knew what he believed, but it was how, how he lived. And that's what the cruciform life is. It's yes, we know we want to be, you know, study to show yourself approved. We want to know scripture. We want to understand the truth of what we believe. But it's the righteousness of God flowing through our lives that impacts the world. It's as we look at Jesus and he's reflected. That's what makes a difference. That's what Paul's pointing to, right? Back in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. Right? <laughs> That's the point. It's not being able to spell out our doctrinal text. I don't want to minimize that. But Paul's saying a cruciform life is this life that, that is transformed in the way it's lived out. Now remember, it doesn't start there. It starts first with being loved by God as you are, looking at the glory of Christ. And then that brings about this transformation. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Those are two aspects of the cruciform life. A third one having to do with our relationships, and I'm going to give you maybe a different phrase. The cruciform life moves from transactional relationships to mutuality. And this is one of those things I don't think we often even realize about the relationships that we have. But many of our relationships, if we're really honest, are transactional. In other words, we are in this relationship to get something out of it. It's a transaction. And, and the truth is, even if you're doing something to help someone else, and you feel like that's not transactional. It may be stroking your ego just enough that you are getting something out. That's the way we, we live as people are, are a means to an end. And we don't do it. I don't even think we do it maliciously. I just think it's something we drift into. And we do that with church too, right? And, and we think, well, I didn't get much out of that service. Well, the preacher, yeah, it was okay. Worship wasn't great today. Do you see the transactional nature of that? You're, you're engaging in something just to get out of it. Something for you. And because our, our world is so wrapped up in doing more than being, we shift into this transactional relationship mode where our relationships are all about getting something for us and it may be even positive 
but it, it's still a transaction. And the Corinthians were doing that, right? They had shifted. And, and the reason these super apostles looked so good and Paul didn't look so good is they're like, I, I think I want what they have more than you. And Paul says, we've opened our hearts to you, but you've closed your hearts to us. You've not opened back because you're living in this transactional mode. But, but the reality is true relationships aren't transactional. True relationships are mutual. They're a being together. It's, it's the fact that I'm creating the image of God and you're creating the image of God. And when we can actually honor that in each other, there's something that happens there that brings life to the two of us. Even if you don't have anything for me and even if I don't have anything for you, God does something. I learned this a lot by reading a guy named Henry Nowen. You may have heard of him. He was a priest. He was trained in theology, psychology, very well known in the U.S. in the 70s and 80s. He taught at Notre Dame. He taught at uh, Harvard Divinity School, um, Yale Divinity School. He, he, toward the end of his career, he moved to L'Arche, uh, which is a, a community for the mentally handicapped, founded by Jean Vanier. He started in France, but he eventually made his home in Toronto, and he lived in the middle of this community, this incredible academic who had people all over the world dying to hear what he had to say. And he's, he's providing personal care for adults with, with mental and physical disabilities for the rest of his life. And uh, one of the things he talked about was how, how they can actually teach you so much. And I, I've, I've experienced this. A lot of you know our Auntie Joy. I'm going to put a picture of Auntie Joy up there. I, I love this picture because that is Auntie Joy. Uh, Joy is in a very appropriate name. Uh, but one of the things as we kind of share care for Joy, those of you that don't know, she's 80, but she functions probably about a three or four-year-old level. She's the happiest little 80-year-old toddler you have ever seen and met. And if she's at home right now, she's saying, he said Joy, he said Joy, he said Joy. Uh, there's my picture. I'm on TV. She's saying all that. But anyway, uh, when you care for Joy, and, and I've learned this because we, we share, and she's a, a delight. I don't mean to make this in any way, but if you go in with your agenda... If you have things you need to do or things you want to accomplish, you're going to be frustrated. Because <laughs> when you're with joy, you have to be with joy on joy's terms. I can't live in a relationship with joy in a transactional way. I can't try to make her fit my life because she just doesn't. But if I can live in a mutual relationship with joy, and this is when you meet joy, I want you to go look her square in the eye and just say, hi, joy, and she'll light up like a Christmas tree because you're there with her. There's this mutuality. This giving and taking from both of you that you're just there together. It, it, it's a perfect example of moving from transactional where I have a purpose, I have to accomplish this, I need this, to actually just being with people. Henry Nowen, one of my favorite quotes, he says, Larsh, this ministry, exists not to help the mentally handicapped get normal, but to help them share their spiritual gifts with the world. The poor of spirit are given to us for our conversion. In their poverty, the mentally handicapped reveal God to us and they hold us close to the gospel. I love that line. Because you know what? You, they, they can't give you necessarily anything. And so in, in, in our relationships of mutuality there, we, we, we get to live out the gospel in this beauty. And it gives life. If you can let go of your own transactional goals and just be there. It brings joy. It brings life. We have to move in our relationships from a transactional approach to mutuality. 
We have to begin to be with people as created in the image of God. I'm, we're, we're, I talked a little bit at the business meeting the other night about a plan for the fall for us coming back together and some groups that we want to do. But I want to encourage people not to go to the groups for what they can get, but to go to the groups to get to know the people, to be with them. And let God work through that. To know people, not what they have to offer you. To see them as human beings created in the image of God and not resources who can either add to my life or maybe seriously detract from my life, slow me down. This is the way Christ lived. This is the way Paul is following him. And even in 1 Thessalonians, he writes to the Thessalonians, because we loved you so much, he says, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. That's this mutuality. It's the way God is within himself, within the Trinity, God giving himself to himself. Father to Son, Son to Holy Spirit, Spirit to the Father. It's this mutual giving of relationship. And he says, that's what I want you to be, right? John 17, Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for all who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. We, don't, we, we can't even grasp that, but, but it's the way the Trinity lives. And they're inviting us into it. He's inviting us into it. God's inviting us into it. I'm always, there aren't words to explain it the right way. So that the world may believe that you've sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. Do you hear that? That's that Second Corinthians. As we look at his glory, we reflect it to the world. That they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. See, this is a different way of approaching the world. It's one the world is dying to encounter. People who are loved by God and love others who have beliefs, yes, definitely, who have doctrine and truth, but, but they live them out in flesh and blood. And people who love other people, not for what they can get, but because God loves people. And that, my friends, is our mission, should we choose to accept it. That's what it looks like to live a cruciform life. Let's pray. God, we, we are overwhelmed by the task so I just want to bring us back and I want us to, to remember we love because you first loved us. God, thank you that all of this is covered by grace, that this is not a sermon that lays down a, a series of steps we have to take, but one that reminds that as we look at you, as we open to you, as we receive your grace, that you will channel that through us to the world around us and make us those people, God. We want, we want to stand here today aware of your love, mercy, and grace for us, our need and your sufficiency, and, and be transformed in a way that changes the world around us. Do that in us today. In your name we pray. Amen. I hope you're thankful for our worship leaders because their goal is to give you words to respond. And that's exactly what just happened. And the scripture says this, okay? As you struggle with your weakness at being a poor ambassador, as you fail, as this week you, you don't do what you wanted to do, I want you to hear this. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And if you can stand on that and receive that, God will make you an ambassador to the world around you, an ambassador of his grace and mercy and love. That's my prayer for you this week.
Amen.